I hate to break up a good party, but maybe we could find our seats. I found mine. Before I go ahead, I'm going to pull a Jim Newsom today, and uh, my latest book, The Kernels of Truth, Volume 9, is available. I have a few copies on the table out front, and I'm pulling a Jim Newsom in that. If you want a book, take a book. There's a basket there. Uh, what goes in that basket is not nearly as noble as Jim Newsom's, where he's buying books for prisoners. But whatever I collect, I'll quit trying to sell books, but uh, whatever I collect goes to the cost of, repro- of producing the next volume, which would be 10. Uh, I've got 23 written, and in the process of, well, actually, yeah, in the process of writing 24, so I'm a little behind on getting them published. But they're out there. There's also a handful of previous volumes. They'll say $10 on them. Disregard that. Just take what you want. If you don't, if you don't have anything to put in the basket, that's fine. If you do, that's great. But I, there's no pride in ownership when you have books. Doesn't do me a bit of good to have a big box of books sitting in my truck. Doesn't do anybody any good. And so this is from... I think this is from the year 2007, the 12 issues from that year. Titles like Sounds of Silence. Remember that song? Birds chirping in the winter. There is a melody and on folly of syncretism. The tithe is the Lord's. You can skip that one. And then the next one, the tithe is the Lord's part two. That's actually printed in a green book sitting back there. But anyway, those are out there, and uh, I'll order some more if we run out, or when we run out. Amen. My wife had been after me a while back, after me, talking to me about taking a sabbatical. And I wasn't all that keen. And here we are six weeks later. That's not what she was talking about. Today is going to be part testimony, part offering of gratitude. And as you can tell, I don't have all my voice back yet. So you'll just have to bear with me. Um, I've, I've sounded like this at times when I didn't have COVID. So, Also, you notice I'm sitting in the stool. I, I was jealous of Howard, his stool out by the door. So I wanted one. Um, so there, those of you who are accustomed to my running up and down the aisles and jumping up on the chairs, it's not going to happen today. Those of you who are guests with us, I'm sorry you have to miss out. But I think I can talk longer and stronger if I'm sitting down than if I'm standing up. But it'll be part testimony, part offering of gratitude, part some teaching, 
This is going to be one of the most unusual messages I've ever brought, and I don't know what I'm doing. It's so out of the box. But I've titled it The Effective Prayers of the Righteous. And immediately, you think, I think, when we hear that, we think, well, okay, that eliminates me because I'm not righteous. Well, you might not have behaved like you should have last week. But James 5.16 says the, the effective prayer of a righteous, everybody say righteous, righteous, person is very powerful. Or in the old King James, availeth much. Amen. This is from the Tree of Life version. The effective prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. And if we, if, if we can end today with that being imprinted stronger in our minds and hearts, then, then what I'm trying to do will have been successful. The word effective in that verse, and your Bibles would probably say workings, it's just a simple Greek word that we would recognize, energeo, or energy, or energetic working. In other words, when we pray, there's an energy, and where does the energy come from except God himself? Some time ago, some years ago, I, I did a, a series of teachings entitled Engaging with God Through Prayer. And I saw at that time that the main, let me start this, I'm not going to pay attention to it, but I'm going to start it. The main uh, goal of God in prayer is not just for us to get stuff. It's not just to get our prayers answered. It's not just to tell God what he needs to do for us. Our main, God's main objective in prayer is for you and me to engage with him. That's the point. And when we engage with him, then we can pray an energetic prayer. An effective prayer, because God is with us. And, you know, regarding the, the idea of the righteous person, you've heard this quoted dozens and dozens of times, but here it is again, for he made him, we'll stop right there, he, God the Father, made him the Son, who knew no sin. Everybody say, no sin. Most of us can't say that about ourselves, but we can say that about him. He knew no sin. Think about that. Just, he knew no sin. He made him to be sin or become sin for us. That we, everybody say, that's me. We might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, whether you feel like it or not, or whether you have behaved like it or not, if you have been born again and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have the DNA of God flowing in your, in your veins, you're righteous. You're not righteous because of anything you did or didn't do. You're righteous because Jesus said, I'll take your dirty coat, you take my clean coat, and let's swap. You wear mine, I'll wear yours. I'll go to the cross and pay the price for your dirty coat and then we'll both be righteous. 
but you are the righteousness of God in him. And so you can pray an effective prayer regardless. Our scripture reading today, again, it's, this is such an odd thing for me. Proverbs eighteen fourteen. I would ask you to turn. We're going to read one verse. I don't usually like to do that. I like to read things in context. But I want to read one verse. And uh, I will scoot my chair back long enough to stand while we read that one verse, if you would join me. And I want you to hope to turn to it because before we're done today, we're going to come back around to this verse. In the New King James Version, it reads this way. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. But who can bear a broken spirit? Now, let me pray. Lord Jesus, you know more than anyone how much I need you today. How much we need you today to hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. Lord, allow me to expound on your word and on the testimony in such a way that it would encourage each one of us to continue on. Our ears and hearts are open, Lord, and we pray that you speak to us. And in your name I pray, and everyone said, Amen. 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 The spirit of a man and woman, or woman, will sustain them in sickness. Well, of course, I've experienced that recently. Uh, I've always dealt with, like all the rest of us, colds and sinuses and allergies and all kinds of things. But but, uh, what I went through recently was certainly uh, more than that. The word in that verse, sustain, is an interesting one. It means to maintain or nourish or support. And as Ricky prayed, we go through difficult times. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. I know there's a gospel running around out there that says that, that we, shouldn't, we should never suffer. But he, uh, I hope sometime soon, maybe next Sunday, to begin studying our studying through the book of James. And James starts out with, count it joy when you face trials. And so what it didn't it just says sustain us through the sickness. And then of course, who can bear a broken or crushed spirit? And like as I said, we're going to make our way back around to the backside of that verse. I don't want to go all Toby Keith on you today, but some of you are getting that. But I have to talk about me for a few minutes and others because I couldn't have walked out of that hospital without saying to you in public, first of all, thank the Lord. Let me just say, I didn't know where I was going to say this, but let me say it right here. I can't tell you why I walked out of that hospital and others did not. 
I can't explain that to you. I can't explain in God's sovereign power, in his sovereign choice, why he chose to allow me to walk out. I didn't know till I got home that all my family thought I was gone. My wife said, when I got in that ambulance, she said, I didn't think I'd ever going to see you again. I didn't know that. I, that thought never occurred to me. I guess I'm just stupid. <laughs> never, the thought never dawned on me that I might not get out of here. Even though Aaron Beth stood in front of me one day in the hospital room, she said, you're a sick puppy. I was just happy she referred to me something as young as a puppy. <laughs> And yet, all of us know people. All of us have good friends who have gone on. God's sovereign. And sometimes he chooses to take people on home. And sometimes he chooses to leave them here. So I can't, you're sitting there thinking, well, why, you know, I, re I remember Jim Newsom standing right here after Carolyn Simpson, Brother Charles's wife, had passed away with cancer. And the Lord had miraculously healed Jim of hepatitis. And he, he, said, he asked me privately, and he asked the question standing here, why would God spare me and take Carolyn Simpson? Who, if you ever knew Carolyn, she was the model of, of a lady, a Christian woman, can't answer those questions today. All I can tell you is I'm sitting here because God's will and sovereign choice was so. It's not because I'm better, not because I have great skills, because I don't. It's God's sovereign choice. I have to offer gratitude to my family who stepped up. Our sons and daughter-in-laws stepped up. Some of what I'm telling you, I don't remember. They told me. I don't have a clue. But at some point, the first lady, who was also suffering with COVID, just not as severe as mine was, called, I think, Adam and our youngest son, Jonathan. So a lot of you don't even know Jonathan. He's a firefighter at Fort Campbell. Called those two, and she said to them, we're dying. And she wasn't just using metaphorical terms. She thought we were dying sitting there in our house. And so Jonathan, did I tell you where he works? Drove from Fort Campbell to our house right then. His boss said, you go. And so they stepped up. Our other sons stepped up. Our son Jason, our oldest son, writes a blog called Tidbits of Audacity. I write kernels of truth. He writes tidbits of audacity. <laughs> it is a very good blog. And he's a good writer. And he wrote one, his most recent one, I think. I think, I think my bride put it on Facebook, but if you, you just search for tidbits of audacity. And in that blog, I learned that I, I spent two days in Centennial Hospital before I went to Summit. In that, I learned that he was there at Centennial I don't have any recollection of him being there. At one point, he was pushing me around the hospital in a wheelchair. I don't remember. But what I do know is that they stepped up. And, while I, and in my absence, 
they took care of the mother and mother-in-law. Some of the grandkids stepped up, some of the older ones. Um, friends. I'm told that there was more stuff brought to our house than we knew what to do with. Some people were going by the Publix and picking up our prescriptions and bringing them to us. Um, it's just amazing to watch. Of course, I didn't watch it, but I was told about it. Our son, Nate, who had just been here for Christmas holidays, went back to Louisiana on January the 3rd. Just a few days later, he got on an airplane and came back. His family couldn't, but he came. So we, so we had all of our kids and daughter-in-laws pitching in and... I don't know we could have made it without them. I particularly want to recognize Aaron Beth, who works at Summit. Um, and the days that she was working, she'd come see me. She was the only one who could, and she wasn't really supposed to. <laughs> but she had a uniform and credentials. She had a uniform and credentials which allowed her to come up to my room on the seventh floor, which I was told later on was the next last stop before I see you. What's that? Amen. I see you. But she would come and bring me stuff. She was she became the liaison between the doctors and the nurses. And uh, report to the family, sometimes report to me. She brought me by BAI drinks, which I, I love. And I like drinking water, but I like something with some flavor. So she'd bring me some snacks. And anyway, Aaron Beth was the godsend, still is. Scott mentioned that our kids got married 22, 21 years ago. And of course, we remember getting the call when Aaron Beth was born to pray for her because there were issues. And we did. That was 40-something years ago. <laughs> so anyway, they came and got me in an ambulance, took me to the hospital. I try not to get into the tall weeds of details here. Took me to the uh, ER on Beckwith Road and ultimately to Summit and placed me in floor number seven. I didn't know how sick I really was. And of course, they put me on oxygen, and then they decided that wasn't working. So they came in with this device. Those of you with medical uh, training know what this device is. It's called a vapotherm. And it sat beside my bed, had all kind of really pretty colored numbers on it. And those numbers were maxed out. They were as high as you could put them on that thing. And I had a hurricane blowing up into my brain. <laughs> they called it oxygen, but it was whoo. And I want you to understand that one day they were talking about, they were asking me, 
your numbers are not improving, the next step from the vapotherm is the BiPAP, and the next step from a BiPAP is a ventilator. Of course, I wasn't all that excited about any of that. So one day, that's what the conversation is and what I should consider. The next day, or two days later, I don't remember, some point, somebody came in and said, you know what? Your numbers are improving. We're going to dial that thing back. So it was at 100% and 40, what is it, 40, 40 liters, whatever. Somebody dialed it back to 95. A little while later, somebody came in and said, let's try this. 90, 35. And they just kept doing that. This is right after they're talking BiPAPs and ventilators. And so this continued until one of the respiratory specialists came in one day. She said, by this time they were down to 65 and 30 on the numbers. She said, I'm going to see if I can't get you off of that thing. I said, hallelujah. They did. Put me on regular oxygen. She left it in there for a half a day. Everything was good. Rolled that sucker out of my room. I said, good. And then at some point, I didn't know at the time how much this meant, but at one o'clock in the morning, they came into my room. They said, hey, we're moving you. I said, home? No, not going to home. <laughs> we're moving you to the fourth floor. I said, well, that's good news. She said, why? I said, because that's closer to the door. I didn't realize it was good news because I was going from the next step to ICU to the fourth floor, which is, I guess, as normal as you can be in a hospital. And then they began to come in every day. We're going to reduce that oxygen on you. And now they had it down to six liters. And then another person came in and said, we're going to, we're going to drop that thing down to three. Turn down to three. And then this other guy came in. He said, I'm going to drop that thing down to two. I'm going. And at some point, I took that thing off and put my hand over it. I couldn't feel anything coming out of it. But I put it back in there anyway. And then a nurse, a new nurse that I had never met came in. And he said to someone else and to me, he said, by the end of this day, I want you on room air only. Well, I was almost there anyway. Sure enough, he came back later on, pulled the oxygen out of me, checked my oxygen on my finger, had me walk around the room. He said, if you walk around the room, which at that point I could barely walk, if you walk around the room a few minutes and we can keep that thing at 90, your oxygen, and we did, and I did. And he said, well, you don't need the oxygen. That was probably that morning. By that afternoon, he came back. He said, I talked to the doctor. We're getting you out of here. We're sending you home. I said, I'm for it. And, of course, I did. I went home on uh, January 21st, 11 consecutive days in Summit. 
as I was laying there, I had my phone. I didn't have my iPad, but I had my phone. And I just, you know, I was looking and I re- somehow, I don't know if somebody told me or I just stumbled on the fact that Adam was posting updates on Facebook. You don't even know how much I love Facebook. But I looked anyway. I have a secret account that I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> Except that I have never, ever posted anything on Facebook and probably never will. So I looked at the updates, and then I started seeing all these comments. Adam would post an update, and there'd be 100 comments. I said, I don't even know 100 people. (laughs) And I'd go down that list, and I said, well, I don't even know who that person is. I'd go down the list. I I didn't that one either. I I began to be aware that God's people were praying. I began to be aware of, as, as Ricky referred to, this little church, the impact that you folks have as, as the vine yes. Yes. going out. <clears throat> told one of the nurses one day, I said, I got more people praying for me that I knew that I knew. <laughs> I don't know how, but I'm glad And some of you have told me, more than one of you have told me and my wife, that friends have called from either here or somewhere else that we have, we do not know to check on me when I was in the hospital. Let me just add that when God's people were praying, they were also praying for the first lady. They were also praying for Phil. I had no idea that Phil and I were in the hospital at the same time. His wasn't COVID-related, but the hospital's hospital. I didn't know that, but you folks were praying. I'll get to some of that in a minute. But I began to be aware of God's people praying. That's the only way I can explain one day talking about ventilators and the next day or the day after reducing the oxygen that would ultimately be completely removed from me. And ultimately walking out, well, I walked from the wheelchair to Adam's truck of that hospital. So that made me, I started thinking about friends. Scott said that, that we've met in 1977, and we did. And that that's when I met Brother Charles Simpson. And at the time... Brother Charles, when I met him, he was 40 years old. I know y'all don't think he was ever 40. (laughs) He'll be 85 in a couple of months. One of the things that's been consistent with him down through the years, as he's gotten older, he says to me and to anybody else that will listen, one of the things that I'm learning as I get older, that the most valuable possession I have friends and I was I became aware that I had friends if you can if you can accept this I had friends that I didn't know but they knew you and they knew other people and Bible says a friend loves at all times and a brother 
is born for adversity. Key word in that verse is at all times. If it's a real friend, it's a real brother, all times. Not just when everything's going good, not just when it's convenient. By the way, the word friend and the word brother in that verse are interchangeable. It's just same thing said a different way. Loves at all times, born for adversity. Someone, I forget the guy's name, he was here years ago, said a friend is someone who's walking in the room when everybody else is walking out. And so I, learned, I began to see this sea of people that I didn't even know a lot of them, but this sea of people who were praying not just for me but for others. But they were praying for me and praying for my wife, and they were our friends. And that includes you, either most of you or maybe all of you. And then I thought of Proverbs 18, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, the caveat in that verse is unless that brother is a friend. I have two brothers in Florida, and they proceeded to call and text. And call. As a matter of fact, last night it was kind of funny. We were at a Wyatt's basketball game, and my younger brother, who's he's younger. <laughs> he's 63. Younger brother's texting me, hey, are you back in the race? And I said, yeah, but I don't see a checkered flag yet. <laughs> so we're texting. And then right in the middle of his text, my older brother, who's 73 or 4, he calls. I said, now these guys do not know that one's texting me and the other one's calling me at the same time. But this went on, and obviously still going on, with my two brothers. A friend, biblically speaking, is someone, in this case, someone that you have affection for. It's similar to the New Testament word philos for brotherly love. Similar. Would that we all had friends. I've said, you've heard me say, if you have one or two really good friends, you are the richest person on the earth. Because God designed his economy and our economy, I don't mean money. He designed his, his way of life that we need each other. Adam told you last Sunday that, that Adam, the other Adam, the one who had fleas. You know, that's the shortest poem. Fleas, Adam had them. <laughs> but Adam had a relationship with God that no one has ever had since, unadulterated, unhindered, walking with God in the cool of the day, fellowshipping with God. And yet God said, you need somebody else. You need somebody besides me. That's why I get a little nervous. I don't, I've never vetoed any. I get a little nervous when we talk about uh, Jesus is all I need. I don't need anything but Jesus. I understand the sentiment of that song, but Jesus himself designed it that we do need somebody else. I mean, if that wasn't true, there would be no Eve. And if it would be no Eve, I hate to break it to you guys. 
most of you wouldn't be here. <laughs> I just finished a book entitled Live Not by Lies. By the way, we sang uh, New Wine, and what's the first line in the crushing? I'm reading a book by T.D. Jakes. Guess what the title of it is? Crushing. The whole book is about how God squeezes us and the power that comes out of that. I'm not telling anything that's private or gossip. The very first thing he writes about in the book is that when his 13-year-old daughter came to him and his wife and said, I'm pregnant. And how it rocked their world, as you might expect. And what God has done through that in crushing. Anyway, I recommend the book, Crushing by T.D. Jakes. Live Not by Lies by Rob Dreher. For those of you who don't know, that's a direct quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I'm not sure I said that right. Uh, But in that book, he... He cites a study in in 2019. Well, that's big enough. I don't even need these. 2019, the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll found a distinct, here's the minority. Everybody say minority. Of young American adults. Thank God for our young adult group. And I watched as we did communion, all the young people that came. Believe that religion, patriotism, and having children are an important part of life. While nearly four out of five said self-fulfillment is the key to the good life. And this is the part that struck me. So the, uh, the, the sociologist of religion, Christian Smith, found in his study of that generation, I'm not sure which one, that most of them believe society is nothing more than a collection of autonomous individuals out to enjoy life. Nothing more than a group of folks, autonomous folks, just trying to enjoy life. And yet we know We need friends. We need people in our lives. Again, Adam, I don't remember if you read this last week, but Ecclesiastes says this. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Listen to this. And woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Solomon, even in his backslidden condition, could see the need to have people that, we, that are friends. He goes on to say, if two lie down together, they can stay warm. But how can you be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another. Two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Friends, 
And as I lay there in that hospital bed, I was just aware or made freshly aware of the friends that were you guys and other folks that were praying. And I also was aware. Somebody told me, I didn't know, that Duncan and Roddy were outside the hospital praying. And the reason they were outside praying is they tried to break in and nobody let them. (laughs) And they were doing so, I think, with people on Facebook. I'm not sure. Friends. And I became aware that friends can be somebody not just to go to lunch with and go to play golf with and to, to do things, go to games together, although I'm for all of that, although I'm trying to quit golf. I hadn't figured out how yet. But friends, in this case, became an army of people that were connected. And I'm saying all this because I want you to I want me too, but I want you to be, to understand the impact that you have as you pray. Now, we send out a lot of prayer requests from Abundant Life from the email. It may make you mad. I don't know. I'll just tell you this. If it makes you mad, just get over it. If you don't get over it, don't tell me about it. Tell Cheryl. And I don't apologize, and we don't apologize for sending out prayer requests. Especially when I was able to watch you guys and a whole bunch of other folks join together and pray. Don't ever think that if you're in your car by yourself and you pray a prayer for whatever you saw or heard, don't ever think you're alone. And don't ever think that it has no value and no impact. Because it does. And we, let me just say this. Y'all got anything in the oven? All right. Super Bowl will start at 530. Go Joe Burrow. Anyway, we read about people like Praying Hyde. Some of you never heard of Praying Hyde, who's a man who would pray for hours and hours and hours. And people like that. And we think that that's the only prayer that we can do. I'm not, I'm not opposed to people spending a lot of time in prayer. But I want to tell you that you can be driving in your car and you can pray a one-sentence prayer for somebody that has just as much impact as five hours. Don't believe it doesn't because it does. Jesus' own words, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And when we read that, a lot of times when we were younger in our little church in Louisiana, we read that verse and we thought, well, does that mean if you're in front of a moving train, it ought to go knock you out of the way and take the train? So we were so simple in our thinking. What it means is that when presented with the opportunity that you lay down your life, you lay down your convenience, you lay down your schedule, you pause on whatever you're doing, and you engage with God on behalf of your friend. There are other things, but in the context of what we're talking about. 
We need to understand the effective power of prayer. And you've read these verses probably, but I want you to see Revelation 5, 8 says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the Lord Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, I hope they could play it, and golden bowls full of incense. What are those bowls of incense? Which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers for me, for Phil, for my wife, anybody else you've prayed for, your prayers wind up in that bowl. Don't believe they don't <coughs> because they do. It didn't say prayers of some of the saints. It didn't say the prayers of the saints that God likes. Prayers of the saints. And here are the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and they got this golden bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then, I didn't put it in my notes, but, and then in chapter 8 of Revelation, who said I didn't teach from Revelation? <laughs> then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. I don't know all the mechanics of this, but it looks like the angels take the prayers of the saints that are in that golden bowl and they lay them on the altar before God. And what happens next? And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. When you pray, don't believe it's just bouncing off the ceiling. When you pray, an effective prayer, know that that prayer finds its place in that bowl. Know that some angel somehow takes your prayers and lays them on an altar your prayers ascend to God himself. There are no exceptions. Power of prayer. Now, the next verse says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. There were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. I'm not going to submit this to you as absolute biblical truth because a lot of the commentators, you know, we've said the Bible sheds a lot of light on the commentaries, would not agree with me. But when I see these prayers put on the altar, Offered to God. And then an angel takes those same, takes fire from that same altar and throws it to the earth. I got to believe somebody's answering a prayer. I got to believe that somehow an angel is taking those prayers and sending them back to earth. And they create noises. Thunderings. Lightnings and an earthquake. 
Whether that's true or not, the fact is, collectively, our prayers ascend before God. I call it the avalanche of prayer. But here's what I want us to understand. Sometimes we think bigger is, is the better, and sometimes that's true. But I'm going to give you this statement. It's not the quantity of prayer, but the unity that makes the prayers effective. Jesus said, if there's two or three, that's all I need. Now, here's what happens with the quantity of prayer. 1977, my wife and I were fortunate to go to a conference in Kansas City, Missouri. Arrowhead Stadium, where some of you just got through watching the playoffs. One night, Bob Mumford was speaking, and he began to preach. And at some point during the time, he just said, Jesus is Lord, as, as only Bob Mumford can do. 45,000 people stood to our feet immediately and began to pray and shout and cheer and clap. I think it went on for 20 minutes. I have a book at my house that will tell me. But the, the volume of energy in that stadium... We were louder than when the Chiefs played because the Chiefs lost. You know, I don't know, but you know that. But the volume of people created an energy among us. It was contagious. You could not be unaffected by that. And it was just three simple words. And, of course, whoever had the scoreboard started flashing on the scoreboard, Jesus is Lord. And, of course, it just got louder. So there is some merit to being in a larger group because there's a synergy and an energy that develops. But for God responding, he doesn't need but two or three. So it's not the quantity. What's important is the unity. And when you have two people or 200 people or 2,000 people praying, and they're praying for the same thing at the same time and praying in the same way, there's a unity there that will create something, not just a number will. Acts 1 says they were, they all were continually united in prayer. The 120, just 120 people. You remember at one point, Jesus saw 500 people after his resurrection. And I've always wondered where did the other 380 go? How come there was just 120? But there were 120. It says they were united in prayer. And then as they were united in their prayer, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, at some point, when I'm lying in that hospital... And there's an avalanche of people, I guess all over the world, I don't know. Duncan tells me that I was on an international prayer list somewhere. There's a unity there. You're praying here. You're not trying to 
impress anybody. You're praying for this person, these people. And there's a unity there and there's power in that. And on the day of Pentecost, they were in with one accord and they were in one place. And they didn't just mean geographically. They were together. And then the very next verse says, and suddenly. And suddenly. After being in one accord in the upper room, continuing to pray, the Holy Spirit fell suddenly. Can I tell you that in heaven it was not suddenly. To God it was not suddenly. But to them it was suddenly. By the way, be prepared for your suddenly. And the suddenly happened because they were in one accord. They were in one place. They weren't arguing. They weren't wrangling for position. They had already replaced Judas with Matthias. And they were focused in prayer. And as you pray for anybody, I'm grateful that you prayed for me and my bride. I'm grateful that you prayed for Phil Eakes and anybody else. At one point, we were watching online. I told my wife, I said, we got more people that's got COVID than people that don't. (laughs) Unity brings the suddenly. Now, I know it's getting late, and I'm long-winded, but I'm almost done. If you would go back to Proverbs 18... I just want you to look at that verse one more time. 1814. Good Lord, it's 1124. It's a good thing I've been gone six weeks. I'd get fired. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. But who can bear a broken spirit? Who can bear a broken spirit? Or crushed spirit. I want to tell you that when you're lying in a hospital bed and people are thinking you're going to die, some, Cheryl or somebody told me when Nate flew back, she thought, oh my goodness, that means it's all over. But he just came back to help his mother. But when you're lying in that hospital bed, You need somebody else to to help sustain you. Who can who can bear a broken spirit or a crushed spirit? Who can bear in that moment? I can tell you who the one who has friends who will pray for them and cause their broken, crushed spirit to not only be supported but to stand with them in that moment. That's who, and sometimes. We're not as strong as we want to be. Sometimes we're not where we want to be in our minds and our hearts and our spirit. But like holding up the hands, somebody's standing beside us. And when you prayed for us, that's what you were doing. I mean, I wasn't depressed. Uh, You know, they were because they thought I was going to die. I didn't know that. Thought never occurred to me. Maybe it should have. But, but I wasn't able to do what you did. 
Okay, I promise you it's almost done. I'm going to give you one verse and we're going to dismiss. Anybody remember the story of Job? Job went through it. Talking about crushing. Talking about making new wine. When it was all over, there's some debate over his friends, how friendly they really were. And some people believe there was more to it than we see. But anyway, this is my favorite verse in the book of Job. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. When he had prayed for his friends. God honors that. Many of you, maybe all of you, have and will experience an abundance of blessing and provision because you prayed for your friends. God honors that. I thank you. My wife thanks you. My sons and daughter-in-laws and grandchildren. We thank you for praying. Not just praying. I got all kind of cards. I got one from the Mannings, the whole Manning family. While I was in the hospital, it said, be healed. I took that sucker and put it on that tray (laughs) so I can see it every day. Cards, text messages. A lot of you called. I didn't answer. It wasn't because I was being rude, although, anyway, it was because I didn't have any voice to talk. I couldn't talk. I mean, I could, so I just didn't answer, and I would text you back. We got, I don't know, all more food than you can imagine against stuff. There's things in our refrigerator today, we don't even know where they came from. But when you pray for your friends, God honors that. And we just want to thank you for the part that you played, not just in the prayers, although that's the main part, but everything that you did and continue to do. Appreciate the prayer this morning. Somebody said, I've been praying for you. I said, don't you stop. Don't, Don't you stop. You keep on. And with God's help, we'll continue on as Abundant Life Church, extending the kingdom of God one person at a time. Stand. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that we even have a God to pray to. And we have a God who hears. Lord Jesus. I'm not even sure. Let me give you a verse. I'm not even sure I read this verse. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. Lord God, we thank you that that's true. Thank you that you had the Apostle Peter to write those words down. That you're attentive to us when we pray. And we are now praying for others. We continue to pray for others 
that come to our attention, Lord God. And I just pray that every one of us would have a newer, fresher, keener sense of not only the value, but the power that goes along when a righteous person prays an effective, energetic prayer and the power that is inherent in that. Never let us think that we're just, we're just doing something that doesn't really mean anything, but realize that it means everything. We continue to pray, Lord God, that your kingdom would come. We realize there's there going to be a day, there'll come a day when we'll see the full, complete consummation of your kingdom in the earth, and you will, you will take that kingdom and present it to the Father. We also recognize that in the meantime, your kingdom is here now in each one of our lives. And wherever you are the king and the Lord of our lives, there is the kingdom of God. So we pray that your kingdom would come to the earth. And we pray that your will would be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. And that you would use those of us under the sound of my voice, whether it be in this room or those watching online that you'd use each one of us to be the vehicles by which we see that kingdom come and that you would give us opportunity to extend that kingdom into the earth and do it one person at a time. We thank you again. We're grateful and we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, God bless you. Thank you for enduring This morning, I promise I won't be this long every time.